Welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. What? GBAO? I know. It's new. And I remembered to say it. We're going to have to talk about this. We are. Uh, in less interesting news, I'm still Kristen Soltis-Anderson, still Republican pollster with still Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. Yeah. So we changed... Our firm name from GBA Strategies to GBAO, which was very exciting. It is now fully official. It's been quite a fun little process to go through the name change thing. You know, it was funny because, um, well, first of all, lots of people want to say it, uh, GBAO. Yep, I was going to say that I... I which, and even if you tell me not to say that, I'm probably still going to say that. Uh, like, I'm, you know, it. we do not, that is not the official pronunciation to the extent that there's an official pronunciation. But if it brings you joy, if it sparks joy in your world to say it, Gbao or Gabao, which is what someone else suggested, then, you know, th- I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, st- stop you. We have a new logo. There was one variation of the logo had that had the O in pink. And the rest of the logo in blue, <laughs> but we did not decide to do that. But that was fun for a moment. And then, um, and then you know, for and so now it's you know it's official. And so I got lots of really nice thoughts uh, from folks, other folks in the industry, and I got flowers from Celinda, who folks may know. She was a guest years ago. She is, you know, one of the pioneer women in the industry. So uh, thank you, everybody, who sent me a nice note. I really appreciate it. I am sorry that I have not been able to tweet about this exciting news because of my Twitter fast. Um, <laughs> has anything else exciting been going on on the Twitter? So besides the f- name of the firm, my firm changing, um, there was also a big brouhaha about bagels that I think is pretty important. I mean, besides the Mueller investigation, concluding which we're going to talk about, of course. But so somebody posted like, hey, you know, I showed everyone in my office this trick of slicing bagels this way. This is the St. Louis way. And it's sliced. Ba- it's a picture of bagels being sliced like bread as opposed to along the equator of the bagel, but like vertically. And like to make them like macaroni shaped? No. <laughs> well, to make them like like thin slices. So vertically, so you have a bagel and it is lying on the equator. So it's lying flat, you know, and uh, you're just chopping it in slices. And they're from Panera, which is not kind of like sort of the New York so standard of bagel. Like bagel crostini? Yes. But like you're losing everything about a bagel that yes. makes a bagel a yes. bagel. Yes. But it's already from Panera, like which is worst... lovely when you're at the airport, but it is not where you would go for a bagel if you were kind of choosing, you know, starting from scratch and thinking about your bagel experience, you know, and how what, how perfect it could be. The fact that it's from Panera is the least offensive thing about this whole story it, that it you're just telling says, It just sets you in a direction that ends up with, you know, th- this bagel bread and a viral tweet that, like, people went immediately insane. Like, people immediately, like, jumped out the Twitter window to, like, comment on this, and, like, in a way that was, like, so unifying and, and wonderful. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, oh, Kristen is missing out on this. <laughs> like, I don't know if she's going to enjoy like you know bagel jokes quite as much as I do but um but she is missing it for sure (laughs) so the the only thing that has bled its way from twitter into my into my off twitter life it has made its way into echelon slack and into some of my group chats is 
You were uh, at my wedding, Denise. What about you that? You were at my wedding, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm on a group text with some other people that were at Megan McCain's wedding. So it's become oh like a God. thing. And in, in Echelon Slack, um, <laughs> oh my God, I'm losing my voice. In Echelon Slack, uh, there has been, they, they were posting, I guess this is now a Padme crossover with Padme from the Star Wars prequels. I'm very pro Queen Amidala. Right. We're going to have to talk about this in a couple of weeks when the 20th anniversary of A Phantom Menace rolls around. Get excited. But yeah, it's the like the, the infamous like picture of Natalie Portman. Like I, in the film, um, like she's like very distressed because Anakin is turning to the dark side, but the, the caption now on the picture reads, you're at my wedding to me. It's just like, <laughs> chef's kiss like perfect so yeah I mean there's kind of like no variation on it that's not funny you know so but I saw it on Twitter and I was like what is this and then I had to, and then I, I'm embarrassed to say I had a search to figure out like where it came from because I was not paying attention at the moment of its birth its meme birth and I was like oh that is good <laughs> that is enjoyable but I assumed that that would have made its way to you I didn't think that I would be breaking the news of that the bagel thing no, no. the bagel thing I was very pleased I knew that I that I would be breaking that to you I knew instinctively and felt pleased about it <laughs> I never want your Twitter fest to end it makes me feel like very very online you know in a way Honestly, that I'm not normally so lovely it's been so lovely so um but I'm also I am outside the beltway right now the reason why I I am not in studio with Margie is I am down in I am in Cajun country right now I am in I have been driving around the state of Louisiana it has been great um and I'm on my way to New Orleans as soon as I finish recording this podcast so are you a New Orleans fan? Do you have any recommendations for me while I'm there? Yeah. So you can get, you know, the muffaletta sandwich. There's also like a, gosh, I need to, I mean, first of all, everything's good. You go to Acme Oysters and just like eat as many oysters as possible. That's a good one. Um, I think that, you know, like the French Quarter, obviously people go to, but Magazine Street's another nice place to walk around. Um, and then there was a place I went to with Kylie. Remember Kylie? That we had a great lunch, at, but I can't remember the name of the place. I'm sure she will hear us immediately and tweet out the name because she probably wrote it in her Mission Michelin blog. And so she will remember better than I can. Well, let's go ahead and dig into the top lines this week. Uh no collusion, but a shrug on obstruction. The bar summary of the Mueller report is out. We'll take a look at how President Trump is faring in polls, both right before the release and polling that's come out since. Um, Quinnipiac also has some new poll questions on Trump tweets and white supremacists. We'll do a 2020 check-in. We'll look at people's long-term big-picture worries about the future of America We'll talk about the Electoral College, and then we'll discuss drunk shopping. I have a story about my my the one drunk shopping purchase that I, I am excited to share with you all. So stay tuned for the end. You Fantastic. will not want to miss it. Fantastic. Okay, good. Yeah, there, we had a lot of competition for the most ridiculous polls, but at the end here. <laughs> we're, we're saving the Game of Thrones one for two weeks from now. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> because I have a polling-related... The, the question that we were going to discuss was who should sit on the Iron Throne at the end. And I have beef with the lack of an important option in the poll. Sure. But we will. But we'll save that. Tune into this two weeks from now when we gear up for the Game of Thrones return. We'll talk about it. OK. 
Yes. All right. We'll add it. We'll we'll, we'll put a pin in that. Um, so first, first Trump. Trump's approval numbers, just to kind of set the stage for everything that's to come. You know, I guess it's the same as where he's been. It's gone up. You know, his disapprovals, you know, looks like it's gone up a, a little bit, but it's still basically the same place it's yeah, been. Yeah, he's back at 44. I mean, he, I think he was down toward 42 last yeah. week. So this is, it's a slight uptick. It's also unclear to me how much of this includes data from the post Mueller report era, no, but it's good know. news. Jumping two points in a week in the average isn't, isn't nothing. Um I, so there's most of the bulk of the polling we're going to talk about today is all this, this Mueller stuff. Right before the report dropped, Fox News poll, which again, remember, regardless of what you think about Fox News, their poll is exceptional. Um, they, they found that uh, 52% of Americans approved of Robert Mueller's investigation into Trump campaign in Russia, only 36% disapproved. That was a decline from August 2018 when 59% had approved. Um, and you also had a majority who said they felt that Trump had tried to interfere in the investigation. Um, 50, 45% said that they trusted Mueller more than Trump. Um, you had 6% that said, I trust both of them, which, <clears throat> okay. And that, or <laughs> trusted them to tell the truth on the Russian investigation. Uh, and 9% who said neither. Um, 80%, this is the number that I think is most crucial for where we're at now. Did 90% or 80% say the Mueller report should be public? Yeah. Um, and that very few people say that there is a chance something in the Mueller report could change their mind about President Trump. Yeah. So that sets the scene for where we're at when the report <laughs> dropped on Friday. I think I even said it on the show. Like, I'm going to get on the plane. I'm going to go to California to do real time. And this freaking report is going to drop. And sure enough, yeah, here we are. I know. I know, right? And it was just, um, it was like kind of a slow build of information over the weekend. You know, I was trying to kind of like detach a little bit from it all. And then, of course, I'm like checking my phone like during kids soccer. I'm like, there's a summary of the report. There's a summary of the report. Like, like, like alert, alert <laughs> to like the toddler soccer. <laughs> I was like not making I was not making any friends. <laughs> I was like how not to make mom friends. <laughs> like, basically 101. That's my class. <laughs> um, so uh, but yeah, there's been lots of polling now that have has come out. And I guess, you know, we want to know the answer of how people are viewing this kind of immediate aftermath. And my question is, and and I think it's fair game. It's it's interesting to try and figure it out. CNN has a poll. Quinnipiac has a poll. So CNN says, um, you know, the president's campaign, which comes closest on what you think the report finds, the president's campaign has been exonerated or they've not been exonerated, um, but collusion could not be proven. And a majority agreed with the latter. Um there is a difference there by party. And so that's how people are, perhaps how people are hearing the news coverage and how the president's been talking about what, you know, the conclusion, um, uh, you know, is it, is this a kind of long lasting effect? Are people going to, you know, are these numbers going to be useful for us? Like in the weeks ahead, are we expecting from this initial polling for people to be following it more closely than they are? Um, and expecting their, 
you know, for them to have an immediate reaction to what the report found, um, you know, when they may not be, you know, not they may not, voters will not be following it as closely as, you know, sort of the folks who write about all of this. So um, so it's interesting from a polling perspective. On the other hand, are we trying to force a, um, you know, a reaction that voters may not really ultimately have? Um but it's still, you know, I think it's still worth taking. I mean, the last thing is like, are these quick polls done with the with the same kind of methodology as polls that are sort of scheduled in advance and have lots of days in the field and have lots of callbacks and so on and so forth? Um, but at the CNN, you know, poll and other folks have shown the same thing that they, there should still be, you know, there should still be hearings to investigate the findings in the report. Um, this sense that. Uh, you know, and a lot of folks saying in the CNN poll that they don't think that this is going to necessarily change their opinion. Even people who say they're undecided, um, are, you know, 17 percent say they're undecided, but this is not going to make a difference in, in how they feel. Um, you see the same thing um, in the Quinnipiac poll, very similar results. Do you think that it should be made public? 84 percent say yes. So it's, the sa- you know, basically the same kind of pattern here. Yeah. I I have a little bit of a halfway double-barreled issue with one of these CNN questions. CNN asks, what do you think Congress should do with the Mueller report's findings? And it says, hold hearings to investigate the findings in the report or take no action on the report and end the investigation into these matters immediately. Mm, Yes, those are two different things. You can want to be public and you can have other investigations into other topics. Those are two different things. And the the Monday after the Mueller report, this past Monday, um, I went on Fox and Friends that morning and just to kind of talk about the, the polling side of like where we were at before the report came out. And one of the other panelists was an attorney for the Trump campaign who was very much of the mind that they were going to try to investigate the investigators, that they want to reopen the there was this dossier that was unproven, and was this something that law enforcement used as justification to spy on an American citizen in Carter Page, and was that wrong, and we need to be digging into that. So there's actually a strain of thought hmm. among some Trump supporters that investigations need to continue into the people who were doing this investigation. So yeah. again, that which I, I'm not sure how much of that is wrapped up in the 57% that say we should be holding hearings to investigate the findings in the report, but just something else to keep in mind that that is a strain of thought and a position that is being taken by a number of sort of vocal Trump supporters, yeah. including in some ways the president himself. I believe he has made some comments to this effect. That's a good point. I haven't seen a question on just that. Um because I think it's just, it just seems like a crazy thing. I'm sorry, it just seems crazy. Um, but I haven't. But I guess somebody should also ask a question about it. But I haven't seen. Yeah, I mean, and, and bear in mind, I, I think like, look, this is the sort of thing where for two years, I have we have been going on television to do segments about things, and it has been Mueller time like nonstop for two years, right? I have been on networks where like. Honest to goodness, someone saw someone walk out of the Justice Department with like a box of papers. And that was a segment. Let's discuss what could the box of papers mean? And now all of a sudden, the Mueller report, for those who thought that it was going to lead to the impeachment of the president, they are kind of let down. And now suddenly the story is getting memory hold. And also it's, you know, we've had question after question about 
what do you think Mueller means? What do you think Mueller means? What do you think Mueller means? I think it is important for us to continue polling on this for the next couple of weeks because I want to see now that all of a sudden it did not come to the conclusion that I think an awful lot of national media outlets really thought slash maybe wanted it to come to. Like, look, you know where that I am not a big Trump supporter, but I think this whole saga has been totally embarrassing in how it's been handled. And I am I hope that we will continue having at least a couple polls asking people what they think about this to see long term what the impact is and that this is now not suddenly just like shuffled aside as like, oh, well, okay, it's over. Let's move on. Because I like I want to see as this report, as the conclusions Mueller came to eventually come out, I hope we continue to look at what people see and not just this story suddenly gets like like it was nowhere near the front page of like cnn.com yesterday at all like it had been buried under like 15 other stories where it was still the front page of like some conservative outlets and i like i just i think that is an interesting divide and i am going to be interesting to see how the polling world handles asking questions about this now that it is out because the coverage of this over breathless little nothings for the last two years has been exhaustive and now that we actually have the report it will feel silly to me for it to go away. Yeah, no, hey, uh, I don't want to see it go away in terms of polling. And we just did some focus groups last week. Um, Tell on, us what you found. So we did focus groups in Des Moines, and Molly Ball um, wrote a piece on them. It's for the organization Protect the Investigation. Um, and the groups were about, and they just happened to be days before the investigation ended, but the groups were about how do you expect the investigation to end and um, what what do you think is going to come next? And we started off with just a level set. And this is an important – we didn't talk to kind of the hardest core of partisans, but we separated our groups out by a group of Democratic-leaning folks, a group of independent folks, and a group of more Republican-leaning folks. And um, in no group – and, and also segmented by education. Um, but no group did everybody kind of have a like a have a firm handle on the players, the investigation topics, et cetera. Like this is obviously complicated and it, this shouldn't surprise anybody. But when you ask people in a closed ended survey question, like what's your you know, are you favorable toward Mueller or Comey? That they can may give you an answer. And that doesn't necessarily mean they have a firm sense of who those folks are. So in the open-ended group, you can really figure out what people know. So, okay, I'm going to read out some names. Uh, tell me if you, you know, what you know about this person, what their job is, what, you know, what's your impression? Like Jim Comey, half of the group knew who he was. Half of the group had, you know, no idea. Robert Mueller, half of the group knew who he was. And, and they couldn't really, you know, there wasn't that much Beyond sort of the name ID and maybe like a like a, a basic sense of the of the job. I mean, even when we got to Jared Kushner, there were folks who weren't sure who Jared Kushner was. Donald Trump Jr. Somebody said, uh, "I am aware of his existence." <laughs> that, that was like one of the funnier lines that somebody had. "I'm aware of his existence." Um, so you know, we, we should is a reminder in case we ever need this reminder. But it, it's another reminder that people are not following this as closely as. You know, folks here in Washington. Um, and, uh, you know, it, there was this sense that there was something actually, you know, real happening, that it wasn't a like, a you know, a, a made up investigation based on nothing, that there was something real there. And they did not expect that even, you know, even in uh, the Republican groups and folks who were defenders of the, of the president, 
did not expect the investigation to end with, like, everyone's been exonerated. There's been nothing here. Um, they expected that something would be found or some, maybe it wouldn't be made public or somebody close to Trump would be, you know, found implicated in wrongdoing. That that was the expectation that, that folks had, um, which which I think was, you know, which I think was pretty interesting. Um, and, you know, at the same time, they didn't necessarily – I mean, folks should read the story in time that Molly wrote. It was, you know, it was really nicely done. We were all, you know, she, her, her – as a, as a writer, it was just a, a you know really nice way to read a different take on a focus group report. You know, it was the, her article on on it because you know she watched the videos. It was really quite nice. Um, uh, so folks should take a look. I mean, you know, there's the same sense that you see, like you know, I wish he'd be more honest or more straightforward. I mean, that's that same kind of uh, vein that you hear in lots of focus groups that people talk about the president, lots of polling that we'll talk about a little bit later, um, and you know. Folks who said, um, um, you know, they they didn't necessarily think the Trump Tower penthouse was an issue, but they were worried about obstruction. That obstruction was the thing that concerned them the most. That was something we saw in in a lot of the groups. The fact that you know the implication or the allegation that Trump um, accused or that you know encouraged people to to lie, um, and importantly completely open to other kinds of investigations from other entities. It's hard to kind of get folks to think about the difference between the Southern District of New York or the Attorney General of New York or Congress, you know, congressional oversight or special counsel investigation. I mean, these are obviously like complicated distinctions for folks who are not following the day to day. Um, But even folks who, you know, were supporters of the president did not, you know, feel that the resolution of the Mueller investigation had an impact on how they would feel about these other investigations into other topics. There's one thing that really stuck out to me in this write-up that echoes a lot of what I have heard in other groups I've done, which is that even the Republicans wish Trump would moderate his rhetoric and do more to unify people. Right. Um, and this was, I, I mentioned this on real time and I, I had mentioned it earlier in the week too, that there's sort of the sense that Republicans are really reluctant to criticize Trump when they're in kind of mixed company that, you know, it's only once they kind of realize like, Oh, all of us here are Republicans. Okay. That then they're a little more willing to be like, uh, I wish he'd kind of knock off the tweets. Um, and we have a poll coming up right after the break where we will talk a little bit about what people think about whether the president should continue tweeting from his personal Twitter account. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, to me, that stuck out like separate from the investigation stuff as a finding that was very consistent with things that I have seen as well, where that's like the one thing that Republicans are most willing to ding Trump on is like, uh, I wish he would like, I wish he would change I get why he does what he does, but that, that, that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead and we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dig into that polling on Twitter and we will move into some 2020 talk. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees, and it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Okay, well, we're back. So there's some new polling from Quinnipiac that touches into the some of the 
you know, contentious issues about the president. I mean, again, I'm always kind of amazed that we have, I mean, not only do we have questions about the president and white supremacy, there's tracking on some of these issues. I mean, that's what I find incredible. Um, So do you think that white supremacist groups pose a threat to the United States or not? Two thirds say yes. Um, You see that, you know, across a variety of different groups, Republicans are a little bit more divided. 41% say yes, 52% say no. Other groups, majority say yes, you know, across a variety of other groups. Um, And it seems like that number is increasing, although, you know, it was 60, 61% and 17 and 18. Now it's, you know, now it's a little bit higher, 64%. I don't know if that's a, you know, that's a real change or not. But, um, and then, not, you know, not related necessarily, but in the same survey, as president, do you think that Trump should continue tweeting from his personal Twitter account or not? 28% say yes, he should. 63% say no. Republicans, I mean, here's the, you know, here's the thing with a lot of these numbers on Trump is that the Republican, there's, you know, Democrats are very clear how they feel and independents are really almost, are, are very similar. There are fewer enthusiastic Republicans. I mean, there's always this like, trope oh his base loves it his base like loves it when he just like bullies somebody on twitter i mean half of just barely half of republicans feel he should continue tweeting and 39 percent say no and that's not even like should he continue tweeting his crazy stuff like this is just like should he tweet from his personal accounts which is like the like a more kind of benign like should he be allowed to basically should he still tweet period which you know is different than like do you like his tweets and think that they're helpful which we would I think see if even fewer Republicans agree on that um, but it just goes against this like is this a good thing for the president to do is it help him you know or not or is it something that his base enjoys and you know these numbers have have never been good. <laughs> He's never had good. Yes, he should tweet numbers. There's tracking on this. Um, the the never tweet the never tweet contingent is strong for him. He he is encouraged to take a Twitter fast. It sounds like. Yeah, this is. I mean, it's hard to ask any question that in any way even has a whiff of criticism of the president of it in it and get you know a majority of Republicans to say, uh, yeah, maybe he should stop doing this thing. And so I just think, I mean, it lines up with a lot of the qualitative I've done, and it is it is just, it is remarkable that this is the thing when Republicans are going, uh, about, like, the president. Even if they love other things that he's doing, this is the, this is the area where they're most likely to go. Uh, just knock it off, please. Yeah. I mean, right, because the, the thing that, you know, I try to follow up on when people say that, because obviously people say that all the time. Yeah, like, you know, he's he's doing a good job and, you know, he can't catch a break in the media. I just used to says some things sometimes that are, I wish he wouldn't say or he tweets some things that I wish he wouldn't tweet. And, I, you know, you try to like try to get to the bottom of it. Like, well, what does it say about him that he's saying those things? You know, it's it's not like. you know, it's not like, oh, I just wish he wasn't so clumsy. Like, these are things he's actively doing, right? So what does it say about him that he, this is, are his internal thoughts? And that's, that's where you kind of have to, like, push to get a little bit of a, you know, get underneath the surface with respondents. Anyway, so moving on. Yeah. Let's talk 2020. So we've got some new polling out of Iowa from Emerson. um, And it finds that the two 
to the extent we're calling them front runners in Iowa are Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, two of the B's at 25 and 24 percent respectively. But the biggest finding, Mayor Pete has momentum. He comes in at 11 percent. He is in third place out of this whole field in this Emerson poll of Iowa Democratic caucus voters. Margie. Yes. What is going on with Mayor Pete? (laughs) Pete Buttigieg. So um, for folks who are trying to figure out how to say it, it's like boot edge edge, right? Buttigieg, Mm -hmm. but like figure out how to, the accent, but it's, you know, there may be some nuance to the pronunciation I'm missing, but I I feel confident in my, you know, in uh, basic ability to say it. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think he's got, you know, look, he had a viral moment on CNN and also, you know, good press. And I think there's been some debate as to like, you know, kind of, What's the, you know, what's driving what? You know, that's been the conversation. Um, and, you know, I think we're going to see all these numbers change. I mean, the, the, all these numbers are going to change dramatically. I think that's not a surprise to see Biden and Sanders kind of in the beginning, you know, in the, you know, up front here. Um, and with the, the the next group of folks being the, you know, same group of folks that we've been seeing, you know, in, in other public polling. And, you know, this stuff is going to change. We haven't had any debates yet. We haven't had I mean, all the candidates that get in that, that might get in. But obviously, you know, Joe Biden hasn't made an, whatever announcement he's going to make. So, you know, I think there's still a lot that can happen, obviously. So, you know, people like to follow the polls, but I'm we're, I'm still in the don't get too attached to any Democratic primary poll this far out. I'm still in that camp. The The only reason to me that the, the Buttigieg number is so big is that things like that will make it much easier for someone like him to make the debate stage which in a crowded field to go from being the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, to be on the debate stage, to go from being almost unknown, um, unless you were readers of the Swedish magazine where I wrote a profile of him three or four years ago, uh, which I will, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes in case anyone wants to go read Kristen's profile of Pete Buttigieg from forever ago that I wrote for the Swedes. Um, yeah, like the, that he now has, is he's that qualified. He is qualified to be in the debate. Oh yeah, he is qualified. Yeah. So, so the, is... there are two. There are a couple ways to qualify, and he's qualified, is my understanding, through the number of donors that he has. There's have a certain number of donors from a variety of. Yeah, I think from every state. So he is qualified. So I then they have some matchups here, which it's of registered voters in Iowa for 2020, showing that. Currently, Biden is the strongest against Trump in Iowa. He would win if the election was held today among registered voters, 53 to 47. Uh, Sanders would beat Trump 51 to 49. All of the other contenders tested, Warren, Booker, and Harris, slightly trail Trump. Um, Warren trails by two. Booker trails by four. Um, Kamala Harris trails by, she trails by actually quite a bit. She trails by eight. Um, But again, this is, these are early days. Those are not necessarily, you know, findings that are proof of, of anything. But um, as name ID improves, those numbers will become more interesting to look at. Yeah, I mean, right. I think 
Look, there's plenty of there. There's plenty. If you're looking for numbers to show that the president is vulnerable, there are plenty of places to see that. And I think these numbers, where you know the president is in single digits against folks who are not necessarily universally known in Iowa, let alone what's happening in the rest of the country, I think are signs that the you know president has some vulnerability. But you know there are numbers besides these that show more vulnerability for Trump than this particular set of matchups. Okay, so let's take. Another break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the future. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, so um, this came out. So now we're back from our break, and there's a poll that came out right, I think, as we were recording last week or right after we recorded last week uh, from Pew about how people view the future. And I was on a panel on Friday with uh, my navigator colleague, Nick Gorovich from Global Strategy Group. And um, sorry, there are a lot of G's there. And uh, he's like, did you see the Pew thing on the future? And I looked at it and I was like, well, this is depressing. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for the like, you know, about to go on. Here's a pile of depressing polling, polling figures. (laughs) And um, no, this he was it. This is good. Good for us to take a look at. Um, And, you know, people seem really pessimistic. I mean, looking at these numbers, um, what do you think is going to happen in the future of the U.S. over the next 30 years? A majority feel that the U.S. will be less important in the world. Uh, almost three quarters feel the gap between the rich and poor will grow. Two thirds feel the country will be more politically divided. Um, about half are very worried on like a four point scale about the ability of political leaders to solve our biggest problems. Um, you know, this is this is. These numbers are tough. I mean, however you look at it, it shows that people feel, you know, some real anxiety and fear about where we're headed. Yeah. And I I mean, and you don't get to these numbers by it just being Democrats and independents and hashtag never Trumpers who are worried about Trump. These numbers are bigger than just what you would get if you were kind of combining together all of the people that are anxious about Trump. Um, the idea that the gap between the rich and the poor will grow 73 percent. I mean, that's that's not just Democrats. That's not just the left that are worried yeah. um, or that believe that that gap is going to grow, that polarization, we're going to become more divided. This is stuff that is being shared. It, I mean, just the scale of these numbers means it has to be shared across party lines. And, and the fact that you have half that say they're very worried about the ability of political leaders to solve the country's problems and another 39 percent that say they're very worried. I mean, the slice of people that are like, eh, no, you know, Trump's got this. Like, that's vanishingly small. Now, the question doesn't ask about Trump. The question asks about 
our country's political leaders. So to the extent that you maybe you like Trump, but you don't like Chuck and Nancy or what have you. I mean, but still, there's only 12 percent that are like, eh, I feel like we've probably got this. Um, everyone else is at least somewhat worried that, that our leaders are not up to the task. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, I mean, uh, there's some they have another battery here, which what's the percent that think a variety of things will be true in the future. Um, they kind of mix up things of like predictions as well as priorities kind of in the same cat, you know, same battery. But there are still clear party differences here, um, uh, um, you know, more, especially on climate. That's one of the big ones about whether the environment will be worse or about worry, being worried about climate change. Um but still, you have majorities say, you know, that their uh, the environment's going to be worse, and news media is going to have. Oh, I'm surprised at this one. This one is pretty big party difference. The news media will have a positive impact on solving the country's problems. That's one of the biggest party divides. Majority of Democrats feeling that way. That's one kind of optimistic silver lining versus you know just 19 percent of Republicans who feel that way. Um, People worried about Social Security not being there for them, having reduced benefits or no benefits. Very few feeling like it's going to be at current levels. Um, in terms of priorities, people feel that the top priority should be things like healthcare and education and the debt rather than on scientific research or infrastructure, which is kind of interesting. But then there's like an overall metric of like how optimistic or pessimistic you should be about the future or one should one is about the future of the US in 2050 and 56% are optimistic 44% are pessimistic um you know most of that optimism is kind of soft uh you know you have uh people of color a little bit more optimistic it seems than than white voters but you know this is not like widespread optimism. You've also got a lot of questions about sort of long-term fiscal issues in here that I found really interesting. You've got four in 10 Americans who say that by the time they retire, Social Security won't have money to provide benefits at all. This is a particularly pronounced view among those who are 30 to 49, actually, among the very youngest, 18 to 29, 42% say no benefits, but 42% say there will be some benefits that will just be at reduced levels, with only 15% thinking current benefit levels will be sustained. For those in kind of that 30 to 49 bracket, a majority think there will be no benefits that you will see uh, security. So uh, the sense of, of how dire the situation is, at least that is penetrated, but you know, you never see Social Security and Medicare rising to like this is a top issue. Yeah. Um, but there's also this sort of background acceptance that like, well, we're probably screwed there. And that's, that is, that is an eye popping figure. Um, you also say, they've also asked people, you know, where would increased government spending improve uh, life for future generations most? And the answer here is healthcare for most people. 68% say that providing high quality, affordable healthcare to all should be um, a priority for the federal government um, in order to improve the life of future generations. Healthcare and education. Um, then in third place, you have this kind of cluster of national debt, climate change, and Social Security and Medicaid. Um, and then the list sort of goes further down into things about uh, infrastructure is actually fairly low on this list. I was a bit surprised by that. I mean, I was surprised by scientific research being so low on the list, honestly. 
I mean, this would be, you would think one of the questions where that would rise to the top a little bit more, you know, with the, the stem of the question being a little bit different. Um, it's not like, what do you think a top priority is for Congress, where I can understand how that might not seem as urgent, but this is, you know, framed in kind of the long view, and yet it's still at the bottom, which is a pity. It's a pity. Okay. Sorry. This is, we're recording this too early for me today. It's making me, it's, this is not a good start to the day. This is like the opposite of like exercising as like a way to start your day off, like, you know, ready to tackle the day. This is like, these are like numbers and results that are making me a little gloomy for the rest of the day. Um, okay. How about popular the, the, vote versus the electoral college? Let's talk about it. So th- where did this poll come from? This is, is Morning this is- Consult. Okay. This is Morning Consult Politico. So this one they find half of voters say the national popular vote should be used for presidential elections, the poll shows, more than the 34% who think presidential elections should be based on the Electoral College, with 16% having no opinion. It falls along partisan lines. Democrats want the popular vote. Republicans prefer the Electoral College, but by a slimmer margin. Independents lean toward the popular vote, but it's not quite a majority of 46%. I am astonished. There is, I believe this was Colorado. There is some state where I saw a headline recently that their legislature was pushing to change it so that their state's electoral votes go to whoever is the winner of the national popular vote, which even if you are someone who believes the presidency should be divided, decided by the national popular vote, that seemed totally nonsensical to me. It just sort of throws your state's political power away. Like, let the rest of the country vote and we'll just go along with them. Like, it just seemed strange to me. Like, it's the sort of thing that if you really want that to be the backdoor way that you get to a popular vote, you kind of have to hold hands with, like, all the other states and do it. Um So that seems strange so, to me. So, hold on. <laughs> so I just looked this up. There's a popular national popular vote interstate compact so i think it is holding hands with other states okay <laughs> it just i mean even in that context it seems seems a bit wild because there's no way that a lot of the red states are going to do it but okay i guess was it, this, was, this I was it colorado or is it a, it like, is what colorado and the other states are Rhode Island, Vermont, Hawaii, Connecticut, Maryland, Massachusetts. Yeah, they're kind of blue states. Um, Washington, New Jersey, New York, Illinois, California, District of Columbia, New Mexico. Yeah. Or New Mexico could be the next state to join. So thank you, Internet, for getting the answer to that so quickly. Yeah, I mean, I – well, I mean, I I guess it also just sort of has a – it just shows a – movement, right? It also suggests a movement in a way that might change things. But um, but yeah, I mean, the, the morning console poll shows very clear, you know, it's pretty clear on how people, you know, how people feel, 50%. So we'll see if that changes as if there's more, if there continues to be a conversation, if there's a conversation in Democratic primaries that change the general election, we shall see. I have a I have a a request out there to polling land for yes. if anyone is like hmm, what should I put in the field? Um, in order to change how we elect the president, we would have to amend the constitution. And in order to amend the constitution, you'd have to have a constitutional convention. All of the states or enough of the states would have to say let's 
let's crack this baby open. Like right now, the, the Constitution is like a document where you have like locked changes. Like you, it, and so to hold a constitutional convention, you're like, OK, we're taking off the, the, the like protect document, the lock feature. It's unlocked. You can make changes. You have to track them, but we can make changes. And there are a lot of things left and right would like to do to amend the Constitution if it became open to uh, open to amendment. Right. right. If, or if like public in it includes, public comment period, <laughs> public comment period, they're think the right wants to do stuff about like, let's put pro-life. Let's put that position directly in the Constitution so that that overcomes Roe v. Wade. You've got folks on the left that want to change things about uh, political speech to try to overcome sort of past Supreme Court rulings on the constitutionality like of things like Citizens United. So there are lots of things both sides would like to do to change the Constitution and kind of I would be interested in knowing, OK, would you want to pursue a constitutional convention if it meant that there was a possibility that these things that the other side wants to do could also I mean it. I think it's unlikely that really any of these changes would get the like majorities that they would need. But I, I would be fascinated, like what are, how people's risk calculations are like, do we crack this baby open or do we just leave the document? Let's leave it as a PDF. Yeah. Let's leave it as a PDF, guys. I know that um, there's work on this. I haven't seen it, but I know that there's been work on this. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, look, I think it would be, I'd be fascinating to hear people grapple with this in a focus group where, you know, you need to really present them with a stimulus, right? Like, you know, what do you think? What do you think for based on you hear this idea, but then you'd have to kind of introduce some different potential outcomes and see how people respond to them. Like, is this outcome seem likely? And oh, that's one axis. And how would you feel about this outcome? It would be another axis. Yeah. Well, let's go drunk shopping. This is now. This is now, now just yeah, in time. <laughs> <laughs> At what time is drunk shopping hour? <laughs> yeah, we're, it is not even nine a.m. here, but I am headed to New Orleans, so well, there'll be some drunk possible. shopping. No, I feel like I, I, I've. There was a time, Kristen, when you had like I was at one of your you were I was at an event with you and somebody, a friend of yours came up to me and was like, Sometimes I listen to the show of someone who I never met before, like sometimes I listen to the show and I think, Is Margie okay? <laughs> like because like I all have these like heavy sighs, you know, when we talk about Trump and, and I thought about that person and that comment once in a while and I was thinking about that earlier today. I was like, Okay, all right. <laughs> next topic. <laughs> next topic. Anyway, so that's where we are now. We're at the end. Drunk shopping. I mean, somebody put a lot of effort in this drunk shopping poll that is like kind of a methodological pile of trash, but yet has like an insane amount of charts. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay, so they find that 79% of people who consume alcohol have made at least one purchase while drunk. Okay. Um, and I, I mean, that could be anything. I, that could be like you go get like Doritos from the store down the road, you know? Yes. Uh, but it says clothing and shoes are the most common drunk purchase. And Amazon is the drunk shopping platform of choice. Um, and uh, yeah, this was they find that women are slightly more likely than men, but not only by two points. Millennials more likely than boomers, uh, probably that like more familiar with the internet thing. Uh, rich, richer people, people who make six figures or more, more likely to do it. Probably, I don't know. They can just throw more money around. I, I don't know. Um, but I mean, okay. Look so, but this, I'm sorry. This is just like people who read the hustle, which I guess is I don't even know what that is. 
And they have this like map, like where the people who spend the most money on drunk shopping, and it's like Kentucky and Connecticut. Like, just none of it makes any sense. I, that could I, I don't know. Don't disperse them. There's they got bourbon in Kentucky. It could be Kentucky. No, I mean it's um, not that. Like it's just you know it, there isn't like a predictable regional like group. It's just it, like I, I mean, and they might have had like three respondents in Kentucky, and then they also have like <laughs> job title. Did that make it in the script? Like the job title of the people who are most likely to drunk shop, and it had like life coach or something. And they're like there was some other like I have to go find it because it was I have, so I ridiculous. Have... I have one finding that I'm definitely calling baloney on is it looks at the professions of respondents. Yes. And the professions that are least likely to drunk drunk shop are writers and artists. That cannot be correct. And it must be fake news. That cannot possibly be true. Um, so, Margie, you don't have to disclose if you have ever drunk shopped or if so, what you drunk shopped. But I have a, a purchase that I made last year um, that... I am willing to confess to that. I think it had like, I think I, I had like gone out to happy hour and like had, I came home and just suddenly had this idea in my head that it was really great. But in reality it was not, it was like last summer and I wanted to have better arms. I wanted those like amazing Michelle Obama arms. Mm-hmm. And there was one time in my life, when I had really great arms and that was when I was in high school and I was in the color guard. I was in the Cypress Creek high school color guard with the marching band. We were really good. We went on to national championships, but this was not just like, you know, walking around waving a flag a little bit. We were throwing rifles and sabers in the air. It was crazy. It was athletic and it was awesome. And so I went on Amazon and I bought myself a flagpole, a flag silk and two rubber flag end tips. Um, and I now have a color guard flag so I can go out in like my back patio and do like spin exercises to try to make my arms better, which I have done two whole times since I received this dumb flag. Uh, that's, that's so it. it's now in my basement. Um, yeah, that's Who that. among uh, us? Who among us? That was my, that. my drunk purchase was a color guard flag. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I, uh. I don't have a story just like that one. <laughs> but I enjoyed that story. And I think your arms are terrific. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, so what is on the trend line this week? So this week, because I am traveling, we pre-taped some interviews. Um, so I, I actually am trying to think of which order I've got the interviews running. But over the next couple of, of weeks, I'm going to have – I'm talking to Rich Tao, who is – I believe he's a, has we ever had him on the pollsters? I don't think so. He is a dial testing guru and he is going around the country doing a series of, of focus groups talking to Obama, Trump voters and Clinton or Romney Clinton voters to find out what they're thinking ahead of 2020. So I have him on the show. We play some clips for his, his focus groups. Um, uh, and so that I'm the mo- I'm like really looking forward to that getting out there because I feel like these focus group clips are going to be great for radio. So tune in to the trend line this Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern. All right. Well, that's fantastic. Well, thanks, everybody. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters individually at, at Margie O'Meara. And you can tweet into the void at me at K. Sanderson. Uh, you I'll can read your tweets. W- 
I'm gonna yep. read Chris. I'm, I'm in charge. I'm tweeting as Kristen from now on. I'm gonna like <laughs> cut cut to like bloodshot eyes of me just like putting on this like character of like innocent Kristen, you know, <laughs> but like occasionally like dark Margie like seeps out. <laughs> People are like Kristen's gone crazy. What is like what, what is happening? <laughs> I miss the Daily Wally pictures. Why is he seeping so dark now? <laughs> uh, but so that's where you can find us but you can't find me there um you can email me but only email me if it's something nice yes great (laughs) thanks bye